In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, New England's own Van Helsink. And with me today is someone I've never co-host before. Have I co-host with you before? You have, actually, Ron. <laughs> I have. Mm. You know, when you get my age, Steve, uh, you know, you don't remember yesterday. It's great, because every day is a new day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but they say with great age comes great wisdom. Yeah, well, I'm still waiting for that. But anyways, my <laughs> co-host for the day, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Good evening. Now, now well, Steve, are you, I mean... You're English, you're Scottish, you're Welsh, you're Irish, I'm, I'm, you're what? I'm English, but I live in Wales, and I'm married to a Welsh. Uh, my wife is Welsh. Yeah, that's also confusing to me, you know, because we all think of you as Brits, and, uh, you know, it's so, so confusing. Well, we are. Yeah, we're all Brits. We're all Brits together. We are. And, you're all, and you're all colonials. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us is a gentleman... Uh, I guess he's, uh, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, how would you describe Mr. Dave Wood? Dave Wood is the chairman of the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, which fortunately they abbreviate to Thank ASAP. Uh, ASAP is an educational charity based in the UK, and last year celebrated their 30th anniversary. And beyond that, I think we best ask Dave to tell us all about it in good uh, as we get to... Uh, talk with him. And I'm very rarely described as a gentleman. Oh, you always really? described as a gentleman. He is, he is, he's an absolute gentleman. <laughs> so is he, he uh, Dave, are you English? I am. Well, I, well uh, I am English, but I'm also Scottish. I was born in Scotland, so we're, we're fully represented for the British Isles tonight. Uh, oh, oh, my God. So, like, you really must be split because you don't know whether to break away or stay there. I'm, I'm trying not to think about it. It's uh, to, to be honest, I'm from the uh, from the Inner Hebrides, uh, who tend to view um, the Southern Scottish as not really Scottish. So it's kind of a bit of a different fight, really. Uh, we see ourselves as kind of on our own as it is. So I'm uh, not sure it makes a big difference to us. <laughs> I don't know. So you know, one day it's all going to be we'll all be one under one flag somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, before we get on to the new world order, I think one thing I'd like to do, um, and probably many people listening would like to do, uh, is congratulate Dave and his 
good lady wife Nikki, both of whom are friends of mine, and who secretly almost uh, went away and got married this week. It wasn't in Gretna Green, was it, Dave? <laughs> it wasn't in Gretna Green, <laughs> although uh, one of our asset directors does actually marry people in Gretna Green, very strangely, but we didn't avail ourselves of that opportunity. But uh, no, we got to, had a surprise wedding uh, on Saturday, so uh, um, big, a bit tired from it, but very happy. And thank you for the congratulations. Two big announcements in, the, in one year. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That, you, know, I, I, you know, I just have to ask why. I've been married 40 married. years. Are you, are you sure that was a good decision? I, I, I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend not to make decisions in haste, really. We've been together for 10 years. Um, okay. So uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a snap decision, really. We, uh, yeah. No, uh, there was no, no way was that a snap decision. <laughs> <laughs> no, no sense in doing these things in a hurry. Yeah, you know what's funny, Dave, is, is that I went out with my wife for four years straight, I mean, every weekend with her before we got married. And finally, it was like, you know, eventually she kept asking, when are we getting married? When are we I said, you want to get married? All right, let's get married. So 40 years later, we're still here married. So I Excellent. guess it was all right. Excellent. <laughs> I have to be very careful here because I'm on my second wife. <laughs> oh. Um, I don't know what to say with that. Okay, so, we, so we've done the breakup of the British Isles, the yep. New World Order, uh, the the joys or otherwise of being married. I think we better talk about the paranormal. Yeah, it's not bad for five minutes though. That's good. <laughs> well, is, isn't marriage it? like the paranormal? Uh, there are I'm lots not sure of what kind of marriage you've got, Ron. But yeah, there's lots of jokes about marriage, but I'm not going to say them on this show. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing is, is that that radio we can actually say whatever we want. God bless really? us, America. What really, really, really? Really, really, really. So, if you would like, to, if you would like, if you would like to utter a, a, a swear, no, please no, feel free. Going to what? No, no, I won't. I'll save that for another show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, um, how long have you been with uh, ASAP or ASAP or how you say it? Um, yeah, ASAP. Uh, around about seven, eight years now. Yeah. And, and this this organization, I believe, uh, it, it, can anyone join it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, because it's a, a registered charity in the UK, and that's kind of a, a fundamental principle in charity law. The charities are, are open for for anyone to join, anyone from any background, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's completely open to everyone. Okay, and and how would they go about? joining if they want and if they join what does it entitle them to well it's, it's very easy to join online now so you can do the process entirely online don't need to, to get involved with with paperwork or telephone calls at all um so people can go to uh, uk forward slash join and uh join in that way and um, can join entirely online or, or also there are different options there if people did want to follow a paper route and we also have an international um, membership which is slightly more just to cover the additional postage costs but that can be joined from the exact same address as well um people who join asap um get our quarterly magazine um our annual research journal um, and have the opportunity to uh, undertake education events and research events and have access to all the weird and wonderful things that asap does wow uh, steve are you a member of uh, asap uh, actually currently no i'm not but i, I have <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't let me in um i did used to be um 
up until uh, a few years ago, um, I was uh, I'm actually a member of ASAP quite quite some time ago, um, pre pre Dave days. Um, pre Dave Dave, that's good. Where, in the days when ASAP was a much, uh, I was going to say, crustier organisation, a bit more creaky around the edges, um, and really an organisation for the for the pullover wearers. Um, but, but in recent years, it has it has changed quite dramatically. Um, it has become a much tighter ship, uh, much mm. more representative of um, perhaps its name, a scientific study of anomalous phenomena. Whereas in the past, it did used to be. It was a little bit sort of homemade. Um, I think being gentle and being polite about it. Um, but we. It, it's been around a long time, hasn't it, Dave? Yeah, for 31, nearly uh, 31 con- years. Yeah, and I'm considerably older than you, which is probably why I remember the early jumper-wearing days. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I was... I was. Um, t- in fact, ASAP was born two weeks... When I was two weeks old, ASAP came into formation, so uh, I've no memory of that at all. But, uh... Wow. My age, then. <laughs> what a babe. <laughs> But there has been some dramatic changes, um, certainly in... Um, just, sorry, Dave, um, just remind me, how long is it since you've been uh, chairman now? Um, I think around five years now yeah. as chairman, yeah. So certainly since, since um, Dave uh, took the chair of ASAP, there have been quite marked uh, changes um, within the organisation. There are still some of, some of the old familiar faces there. Um, mm at the conference in Bath, a uh, brilliant conference in Bath, um, celebrating ASAP's 30th anniversary. And it was nice to see some of the old creakies like me uh, were still around. <laughs> I shouldn't really name them, but Morris, it was lovely to see you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, did, did Hugh turn up? He Is certainly it? did, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, we, we go back a long way, uh, myself and ASAP. Um, but... Uh, I'm currently not a member. Hmm. Cal wants me to join. Cal Cooper he believes I should join. But I don't think it's a good idea. Most groups don't like me in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're a safe ocean away, so that, that, that's buffer, so you should join. And, and um, I mean, this organization, are you pretty much closed mind? Are you more open-minded than other organizations in the paranormal? Well, I think open-minded means a, a lot of different things to, to a lot of different people. Um, and I think it, in a way it almost means something slightly different on each side of the States as well. Um, I'd say that ASAP is is open-minded in, in the most genuine way of being open-minded in that if, if you're scientific, you have to be open-minded, you have to be neutral. And you have to be evidence orientated. Um, so we're we're fully and unashamedly scientifically focused. Um, but science does require you to to have an open mind and be open to new evidence. I'd say fully open minded. Well, Steve, I mean, do you consider yourself open minded? I mean, being um, a parapsychologist, don't you kind of like poo poo most stuff? Well, no, I don't, um, and I don't like I don't like being defined as a skeptic or a believer or an open-minded mm. believer or a fair-minded skeptic or any of this other nonsense. Mm. Um, I am I am simply an investigator who tries to, and I'm sure Dave will agree with me, tries to remain absolutely objective, yeah, um, and rational. And 
we are suffering a lot at the moment, particularly over here. Um, there is a, uh, a split off. The skeptics seem to be sort of forming their own uh, vanguard um, of skeptical scientism, um, led by um, a few uh, academics. Um, some names that may be familiar in the paranormal world, Professor Chris French, uh, Professor Richard Wiseman, some from oh, yeah, uh, Wiseman, world's yeah. more conventional uh, science, Professor Brian Cox. And they're all very, very, very dismissive, uh, not only of the paranormal, but in some ways uh, they're extremely dismissive of those who, who look objectively upon uh, paranormal research. And I think you have to just be objective and rational. Um, Science is, is a series of principles. A lot of people um, say, oh, I'm a scientist. Um, as if it's some sort of um, stick to beat, beat other people with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a scientist, therefore my opinion is better than yours. Well, actually, a monkey can do science because science is a set of principles. Science mm-hmm. is observation is hypothesizing, is testing those ideas, evaluating the results. And to be honest with you, anybody can do science. You don't have to be a scientist. And an awful lot of scientists are extremely closed-minded. Right. And, you know, I, I get the title scientist all the time, and I really don't consider myself one. I, mean, I do have a degree in environmental science, and I uh, used to like design and manufacture environmental teaching aids for schools, but I, I never liked the title. I mean, uh, it, it, it's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that, but it's just like, it's kind of like trying to put somebody in a, in a category, and, and it, it really shouldn't be that way. No, I agree with you. Um, it's, it's very much. I mean, one of the first questions that um, you, I always get asked, and I'm sure Ron, Dave, will get asked the same questions, is uh, to define yourself, put yourself in a pigeonhole. Do you believe? Are you a skeptic? Or, or somewhere in between these, these strange open-minded skeptics or fair-minded believers or, or other categories? And uh, Dave, do you find that all the time as well? Yeah, and I think I think there are a few things that kind of go on there. I mean, there's there's the whole kind of media angle, isn't there? They like to know how to how to label people, how to pigeonhole people. So you, you get your view from your skeptic, and then you get your view from your believer, and that sort of thing. But I think I think because um, obviously the media, you know, does tend to dumb down these things when it comes to, to coverage of paranormal research. But I think also quite worryingly, um, I've come across a lot of people who almost want to know what your orientation is for for want of a better term before they'll talk to you so you get quite a lot of people who who say i'll only talk to other believers or i'll only talk to other skeptics and and this sort of thing and this this kind of self-perpetuating bubble that some people like to put themselves in where they're not open to to challenging of of their views not open to to other perspectives and i think it is quite worrying Uh, and i think that 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 polarizing is something as as steve said earlier we're seeing a lot more of nowadays i kind of i i disliked in a way the kind of the common thing that certainly happens on on this side of the pond which says you know we have to have a token believer and we have to have a token skeptic within a a particular unit I didn't particularly like that in the first place, but it's a lot better than now you just seem to have camps of believers and, and camps of skeptics and, and never the twain will meet. And it, it just sits quite uncomfortably with me, really. It, 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 it seems like 
seems like people like Wiseman and over here, uh, we have a fellow by the name of Joe Nickel, who uh, used to be what, uh, I forget what, Cyclops or whatever they named themselves. I, I forget what it is now. But ever since I've been in the paranormal, he is, every time I get in a newspaper or something, of course, they always put this guy in and he's going to trash whatever you do, even though he has no clue of who I am, of what I've done or, or anything. He even was never there, but he's sure to downplay whatever. And I think people like that use that skepticism as a badge. It's like, you know, we're better than other people because we don't believe in all this stuff. I mean, and they're not even open-minded enough to even attempt to uh, look at the, uh, you know, any possibilities of it. It's just like, no, that's that's poppycock, and, and that's the way it is. So, do you, do you, I mean, Wiseman's kind of like that, isn't he, in the UK? He is, but also you do get a lot of these, we call them naysayers. Um, they, they actually, all they uh, tend to do is demonstrate their lack of knowledge of the subject. Um, we've got some daytime television uh, programs running at the moment. Yesterday they were discussing perhaps one of the most famous poltergeist uh, cases ever, the Enfield poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Um, well known throughout the world. And probably yeah. one of the most um, or best investigated cases of a poltergeist manifestation um and they they had a skeptical psychologist who was well trying hard to ridicule the evidence of the investigator and also one of the um family members involved and simply ended up demonstrating their complete lack of knowledge a of the case and b of parapsychology and paranormal related phenomena I, and yet these people are trotted out as experts and, and in, in fact, have an opinion. Um, they have, you know, where do they have a right to have an opinion? Because there is no informed opinion um, there. Right. The fact that they, you know, somebody is a psychologist doesn't mean... Now, certainly in the case of, of uh, Richard Wiseman, Chris French, they have a great deal uh, of knowledge of the subject. But strangely... Uh, they don't seem to have a great deal of uh, knowledge of subjects of, for example, ghosts and the investigation thereof of ghost-related phenomena. Um, and yet they are still uh, counted and classed as experts and trotted out by the media uh, to give their opinion. That's right, like Joe Nichols, <clears throat> who they, they, you know, is, a, is, a, is a, the same way, but he, he's, he was an English professor. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the honesty, I had more training than he did. Well, well most of, most of uh, spontaneous case investigation, um, the actual field side of it, should we say, um, and this is very much touched with ASAP, uh, who were one of the, the pioneer organizations of using um, physics, using uh, instruments, instrumentation, uh, oh, to, to objectively measure a, a location and to test the claims of uh, uh, experience and participants in paranormal cases. Um, and yet we've got experts, uh, the experts who, who come and uh, discuss these things are all psychologists. Um, most of them don't operate within the world of physics and don't understand the world of physics. And there are many, many, many cases where um, psychologists have undertaken 
physics experiments, environmental monitoring and measuring, and the results, quite frankly, have been laughable, and somebody with high school grade physics could drive a coach and horses through the experimental protocols, uh, and yet the psychologists are the experts. Right. The other thing we have the opposite too, especially I, I've noticed that uh, if you like it, Facebook and and and, and uh, groups call themselves scientific because they use <laughs> instruments. In mm-hmm. in reality, they're no more scientific than you know, in a lot of cases, than a chimpanzee. And that sounds a little cruel, but it isn't. Is they they use instruments, but they really don't understand the science behind the instruments, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily use science protocols. Mm. And I, I frequently argue that actually um, some of these groups that, that do take that approach that, that's more technical than scientific are actually much less scientific, the, the ones who choose to label themselves in that way, than perhaps other people. So. <clears throat> I've met quite a number of, of groups of individuals who say, "Well, actually, we're we're not we're not particularly scientific at all. Um, we don't use any instrumentation. You know, we, we use a voice recorder and that sort of thing, and and, and that's it. And 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 we sit and and we observe an environment. And and I've watched these people, and they're they're critically assessing their environment. And even though they're using absolutely no technology, no instrumentation at all, they are doing science in, in some form. And then, then I've seen the the technically orientated the groups who self-define as being scientific. And, and, and what they're doing, some of them, is is completely non-scientific, pseudo-scientific. And actually, so many of these groups with no instrumentation are much, much more scientific than the technical groups, and I, th- I think that's a, a huge conceptual problem that we've got in the field is is to say that if you're technical, it means you're scientific. When actually, quite a lot of the time, it, it's it's almost exactly the opposite. And and this is a huge problem. We've got you know everything from EMF meters from to to warp photography to to everything really. Um, everything's just a bit confused. Now, what Steve, you're still with us, right? Yeah, but what does seem to be a universal constant is that um, the more equipment, it, it's uh, the, the more equipment or the more flight cases, the more silver boxes that your group has, the greater kudos you've got. Um, you know, you cannot, you you don't have that much credibility if you roll up on a, on a, an investigation armed with a notepad because um, you're certainly amongst your peers, you've got to have more K2 meters, more EVP mm. technology, more flight cases, the ubiquitous yeah. fleecy jacket with the group logo, mm. uh, yeah. and all of the other accoutrements that go with, go with the, the territory of ghost hunting. And, and in actual fact, as Dave rightly says, a notebook and pen, your five God-given given senses, um, are your best assets. The technology has a role to play. Um, but it's a role that, it's like anything, you need to apply it carefully and in a measured and controlled way. You can't just roll up with a, well, like taps do, you can't roll up with five black trucks mm. and spend half a week unloading and setting up your tech gear with your mm. and have your tech manager sort it all out, sit in front of CCTV cameras, pack it up, go home and go, well, there you go, that's, that's how you do ghost investigation because it just isn't. Yeah, right. it, it's funny you mention that, Steve, because that's one of the, the comparisons. I'm, I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, one of the uh, comparisons I was going to make is that yes, the ghost hunters go in and they have tons of equipment, and yet, like when most haunted was on the air, and, and you were a part of that, Steve, uh, 
uh, we, they had parapsychologists, people actually trained in the field, and yet they had very little equipment. Um, well, I, I would actually, if I can turn that argument around and um, just, just say that possibly having pi- parapsychologists is not actually the best approach either. Oh, that's um, an interesting, yeah. Because parapsychologists, I'm talking about qualified parapsychologists, um, mm. and you all know that I'm uh, great, great friends with and um, do a lot of, spend a lot of uh, time with, with Dr. Kieran O'Keefe. Um, and we, we work very, very well together because we work differently. Um, a parapsychologist is not a psychical researcher, field investigator. Um, it's, it's like saying a historian is an archaeologist. A parapsychologist has a very important role to play, but I would argue, and have argued often, that parapsychologists are actually pretty badly equipped to be investigating spontaneous case phenomena such as ghosts, poltergeists, hauntings. Really? Uh, and then why is that, Steve? Because their training equips them to look at uh, a certain set of uh, phenomena. Parapsychology is about the, the testing of psi within a laboratory, traditionally within a laboratory environment. So they're looking at telepathy, extrasensory perception, uh, precognition, clairvoyance. They are not really uh, experienced or trained in looking at spontaneous cases, which is actually a multidisciplinary um, approach. It, it involves physics, it involves social history, it involves environmental science, it involves psychology, it involves geophysics, it involves a whole raft of ethical and socio-economic problems that need to be considered as well. Um, And just simply to say, well, I've got a degree in psychology um, or a master's degree or a doctorate in psychology doesn't mean that you're a good ghost investigator or investigator of paranormal phenomena. I'm not having to go at psychologists because I also just realised that Dave is also a psychologist. Um, but I, in, in my defence, co- my co-founder with, uh, in parascience, uh, Anne, also has a degree in psychology. So psychology is a useful tool but it doesn't mean that they're any better at investigating than a physicist is. Mm. I, I agree. I agree with Steve on this this point. Um, <clears throat> and I think of of the various sort of fully qualified parapsychologists in the UK, I think there are maybe maybe two who are actually really immersed in in spontaneous case field work. And I, I think Steve and I both both know who who the two would be. Um, and and for the rest of them, to be honest, they don't really have a, much of a great interest. The ones I've spoken to in paranormal field work, and, and you know if they're asked to be authoritative on it most of them would actually say well you know although i'm a parapsychologist that's not my my particular area i think i think what we saw a lot of going back to the talk about uh, most haunted and, and taps and so forth is they kind of set the model for what a paranormal team should look like so you go back into the early part of this century and every paranormal team had to have a medium and had to have a parapsychologist or, or a skeptic or or this kind of thing and it, it set very much the model and, and when i was operating during that time <clears throat> and we were for example interviewing prospective team members they'd say well who's your medium and and we'd say well we don't we don't have one and they would say oh you know can you not manage to get one i know someone who is a medium who come on board and this kind of thing and it, and it was seen as being some kind of deficiency 
within your if you operation if, if you couldn't attract and oh god no no well dave no. i hate to say this but uh we got the tune so we're gonna have to take a break right now you're listening to ghost chronicles international with steve parsons and ron Kolick and our very special guests uh dave wood and we're right back up the following messages on tojinet pararex ghost channel and beyond we'll be right back Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbledygooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous. As we give awards to the Parrax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with my special co-host, Steve Parsons, and our special guest, Dave Wood, from ASAP, or ASAP, or whatever you say, A-S-S-A-P. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, we actually have a, uh, in, in we're live, of course, on uh, TojiNet, uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and Beyond. And we also, you can join us in the uh, TojiNet chat room if you want, and if you have a question. And we do have a question from the chat room, so um, I'm going to throw this out there to either one of you, or, or both of you, actually. And this is from Heather from uh, your country, I believe. I think she's in Hull. I don't know where that is, but... It's cold, that's all I know. Uh, but anyway, uh, she's saying with the cold weather we're having here in the U.K., would there be more paranormal activity or less? So with cold weather, do you think there is an increase in paranormal activity or not? Gentlemen? Here you go first. I'm, I was going to suggest that there's possibly, uh, certainly in the outdoor phenomena, uh, road ghosts and cemetery ghosts, I would reckon there's probably... Um, a lot less reported because people mm. are indoors. Yeah. So um, possibly an increase in the number of indoor phenomena mm. um, and, the, and a decrease in the number of outdoor phenomena, unless you can freeze a ghost. Now, there's a thought. 
And I'd, I'd agree with that. And I'd add to that to probably say there's um, an increased number of indoor phenomena as well because because the nights uh, are getting darker early. And of course, we all know that ghosts come out at night, or at least that's when people uh, perceive ghosts. Um, okay. So I think, and people generally have less to do as well uh, in, in the evenings on uh, cold winter evenings. So certainly, the trend I've seen is a bit of an increase during this time of year. It's interesting because I did an investigation at this place, uh, the Inn by the Sea, where uh, a uh, it's a long story, but a bride had washed up on on the beach with her uh, uh, wedding dress with her, and they, they buried her in a cemetery next to the Inn. And if you go to her grave, it's it's well, like it's been freshly dug. I mean, and fresh the tombstone looks good and everything else. But we did the investigation in like February and it was freezing, so I guess that kind of ruled out any chance of finding any cold spots. What what certainly uh, is worth uh, consideration from the point of view of uh, case investigation is a seasonal approach because um, certainly different locate or the same location at different times of the year uh, can be more or less active. Um, and that's something that that we've noticed and others have noticed. Um, and so when, when planning a series of investigation visits to any location, um, I think it's, it's important that you do look um, at the location across a wide variety of um, seasonal variations. And also, you know, don't you know, forget that the outside environment will have a large impact on the inside environment. So if it's windy outside on one visit and calm outside, on another visit, warmer or colder, um, these can all have quite marked effects on on um, the way the buildings in microclimate inside the building or around the building will will mm-hmm. will react. Mm. So these um, let's go for one night, let's go for four hours, and then let's decide whether or not it's haunted. It's all pretty meaningless uh, given mm-hmm. those, but. Going back to we've we've had a, a real go at parapsychologists tonight, bless them. Um, poor defense, poor defenseless uh, lab rats that they are. Um, but you did uh, you did touch on mediums, and uh, Dave was talking about uh, about how it was um, considered standard practice, standard operating procedure almost to have a medium inside your group, um, and that's got to be one of the one of the, again a pretty crazy idea because mediums. Uh, well, you know, they, they've been around for a long time. Spiritualism has been kicking around since the 1850s, 1840s. Mm. Um, and the whole, of, the whole of mediumship and spiritualism is based upon the premise that they, that they know that the, the living have passed over to another level and that they're able to communicate um, with, with the living through seances, through mediums, uh, through other sort of psychic seance room phenomena. And yet, mediums go ghost hunting. Um, mm-hmm. That's surely looking for something that they already know is there. Mm. Um, and I've seen many, many mediums jump and, and express surprise <coughs> that there's something in the room. Um, so are they really just doing it for the money? Or are they really <laughs> just doing it? Or are they really just doing it because they've seen it done on television and realise that, well, you know, dare I say it, they're onto a good thing here. Um, you know, it does seem a bit strange. They, they know I, I ghosts. Could, I, I'd like to actually comment on that because, um, you know, when I first started uh, investigating, I didn't even believe in mediums. Thought they were all charlatans. To be honest with you, but I ran into uh, Maureen Wood, and she's a trans medium, and um, 
and since then I've worked with it for many, many, many years. But the the thing about Medium is that they believe in what they do, and they look for verification of it. I mean, to them, it seems like it's important that people can verify what they say, and, and, and it seems to be almost an obsession with them. And I, I know that with Maureen as well. Uh, but to me, that, that's what it is. They, they know what they can do. So if you accept that, that, that they can do what they do, and then why would you need the verification? But to them, it's very, very important for some reason a lot. There's a great many paranormal groups, particularly over here, who are, who are medium-led. Um, mm. And a group, a UK, certainly a UK group, uh, the vast majority of them, um, have a and promote the fact that they have a resident medium. Um, they don't have resident uh, skeptics or resident psychical investigators. They only have resident mediums. It's like some sort of, I suppose, like a poet. Uh, they have an in-house poet. Uh, in-house yeah, bar. but don't some, don't some groups have resident skeptics? Um, no, uh, I've never seen a group ever promote a resident skeptic. Uh, really? I've seen, groups, I've seen groups say that they have skeptics within the group or open-minded skeptics. It's this byline by everyone's name that, that gives their orientation. This is, you know, these are our skeptics and these are our believers and these are our middle people and that kind of thing. And it's, it seems very important for people to be able to, to put on their website what, what someone's particular orientation is. Yeah. Do you know... Um, one you'll always see, Dave, is um, the the developing medium, the developing sensitive. Yeah. I'm yet to see a developing skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've I'm, seen one or two. Yeah, I'm a developing technical person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, it's interesting. When I first started it myself, I used to have like, you know, an EVP specialist. Sorry, you know, these special categories and, and kind of like I've done away with that because the way I look at it now is is if you're a, an investigator you should be you know a skeptic you should be open-minded you should be you know look for alternatives uh, yet you shouldn't you know poo-poo everything you see either so you, you've got to be a little bit of everything really rather than a specialist I, I, I believe mm, yeah and, and certainly I think um, <clears throat> From a science perspective, um, you, you can't really use a medium on, on a case investigation. It just doesn't make sense particularly. So, I mean, Steve was talking about um, uh, spiritualism as being a religion and, and mediums effectively adhering to this kind of religious belief. And, and on its own terms, that's kind of fine because you're you're undertaking um, some kind of religious guided activity um, and taking a religious angle on a particular thing. Um, whereas if you're coming from a scientific approach, um, the maxim that, that I always tend to use is that you can't use an unknown to prove an unknown. You can attempt to use something that, that you know works to prove an unknown, but you can't use uh, an unknown to prove an unknown, which is why mediumship is great for, for standalone research and experimentation because you can use known methods and credible procedures to try and uh, prove or disprove mediumship generally. But to use a process that you don't know what's going on and taking it into an environment where there's something happening and you don't know what's going on, you're just creating spurious results, really. Um, so I think I'd always be very kind of cautious about the idea of using mediums in, in cases. Um, and sometimes it, it can be quite ethically damaging as well. Um, so it's a bit of a, an odd area. Actually, you've, um, you've brought it back to parapsychology again there. Um, <laughs> because there is the classic case of using the unknown to explain the unknown. 
Uh, parapsychologists have been doing it for the longest possible time. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I can give you one very, very quick example. Um, when dealing with poltergeists, they always fall back to the what they now believe amongst parapsychologists, and they've managed to convince an awful lot of other people that it's a fact mm. that poltergeist manifestations only take place or or mainly take place focused around a pubescent uh, adolescent female mm. or more mm. rarely a uh, male um, and that just is uh, i mean they parapsychologists are trying to get us to happily accept that a teenager full of angst um, and stress and hormones can cause a, in the case of the Enfield uh, poltergeist, a 60-pound cast-iron fireplace to rip itself from the wall and throw itself across the room. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty paranormal. Mm. Um, and, but parapsychologists are quite happy for that to be the explanation. Mm. And that's yeah. just one of many, many examples that parapsychology um, uses to try and bluff its way out of a corner uh, mm. when confronted. The three of you were up in Bath together, right, uh, Dave, I believe, and uh, Steve and Karen O'Keefe, right? Mm. And Cal. And Cal, Cal, yeah. Cal Cooper, yep. So, I mean, what was the atmosphere like that? Because, you know, here we have some, you know, pretty academic people in Karen and Cal and, and well, I guess... Steve, I guess we can put you in there, even though you don't like a psychologist. <laughs> so, I mean, is, is it a different environment than, uh, you know, when you're not in that same situation? I think we're all on the same side, broadly. Um, I actually think Dave and I have probably got the hardest job of all. Um, mm. Because the the true psychical investigator, the true... I class myself as a ghost hunter um, in, the, in the true sense. It's not a word I actually like because it, it, I don't hunt them, but, but it's, as, it's a word that's been around for a very long time, a, a term that's been around for a very long time. Um, but I'm caught in the middle. Um, ghost hunters are caught in the middle between mediums with their own set of beliefs and uh, explanations and ideas and parapsychologists with their own set of beliefs and agendas and ideas and we're trapped in the middle between these um you've got the academics on one side saying oh well of course we can explain it by this set of nonsensical explanations and mediums on the other side saying well we can explain it by our own set of nonsensical explanations and what Mm. we're trying to do in the middle is to go well hang on let's have a look at the evidence because it could be that or it could be that and we just don't have enough evidence to 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 really know at this stage Mm. Um, and what ASAP certainly have have been championing, champ, championing along with my own group, Parascience, is an objective um, knocking blocks out of the or or putting blocks into the wall. Uh, for example, both groups were v- were absolutely instrumental in demolishing the orb um, mm. and putting that that annoying little thing to bed. Mm. I, I uh, wish I could say that, but I can't. <laughs> And and that's the way it should be. That's the way that mm. frontline investigators should be. We we take these these theories and ideas from from all camps, um, and we we challenge them and we test them, and we devise experiments to look at them. Mm. 
and we come up with with hopefully we we put we fill in a blank or we put in a piece in the jigsaw mm. so dave i mean you have gone i assumed on many investigations correct yeah yeah and have you really you know found something that really made you sit back and say hmm you know maybe this is it maybe this is all real, this is, you know, we can prove that they exist. I think I'm, I'm kind of a, a fan of the idea of um, the more you know, the less you know, to be honest. I agree. Um, yeah. and, and kind of over, over the last 10 years or so, I've kind of gone um, up, on, up and down on the subject, really, kind of um, <clears throat> in the early days, kind of swinging between... Um, sort of scepticism and actually thinking mm, well that, that that was kind of interesting and i, I suppose as, as years have advanced um i tend to view things rather rather differently um and seem to have kind of settled into a fairly neutral role um that says well i've never seen anything that i think is paranormal um i don't believe or disbelieve in the paranormal um, and I'm genuinely open-minded as to what the evidence is out there and, and despite sort of 10 years of saying well I've not seen anything which I think is is objectively paranormal I'm still not in the box that says the paranormal doesn't exist I think it goes back to what uh, Steve was saying earlier about there's this kind of um, prior assumption that says well unless something has been definitely proven or disproven um then you can rubbish the whole thing wholesale so steve was talking about the um the kind of the skeptics that go around without having been to a case or seen something or seen the evidence or or, or anything or seen any analysis and saying this is definitely all nonsense um, i think you can never say that until you've actually looked at a case and i think everything needs to be seen on a very much a case-by-case -case basis but Certainly up until now, there's nothing that I, I look back and think, this makes me believe it's all true, or this makes me believe it, it's not all true. Um, I seem to have settled into that, that mindset. Dave, do you think that the paranormal will ever be proved? I mean, you know, what's the, well, paranormal is kind of a, a broad uh, term, but so just say spirit, do you think the ghosts will ever be proved? And are, is the paranormal and ghosts more a personal experience meant only for that particular person um, on many levels it's a personal experience but there are aspects of it that, that certainly we can demonstrate um, cause and effect um, and that's what we were talking about earlier lots of things that have been paranormal um, are becoming explainable mm. uh, the orb the orb being one uh, hopefully as as we progress we're looking into other areas um all of the time we're looking at uh, evp why do people think that evp is paranormal mm. well why are people hearing these sounds from things like frank's box mm. um what is actually going on so mm -hmm. experiments groups uh, like ours um are looking at these devices and considering ways that they can be that the claims being made for them can be tested um so yeah explanations are coming coming through on a on a fairly steady drip by drip basis as to whether we'll we'll understand what ghosts what ghosts are i don't think we can because we are very much dealing with human personal belief and it doesn't matter how much 
explanation, sound science and evidence that you present somebody, if they still believe that the world is flat or that orbs are paranormal or that they can talk to their K2 meter or that the misty figure that, that drifted in front of their eyes is great and Polly mm. um, who has come back to, to reassure them from, from the dead then that's their belief and they're entitled to it and no amount of uh, explanations or evidence that I can present or anybody can present will change those sort of people's opinions so no we're, we're mm. never going to be able to explain ghosts and the paranormal to everybody Do you agree with that Dave? I, th- I think we'll never convince everyone, really, um, or at least not for not for a great many centuries. Uh, I mean, uh, Steve used the kind of the the world is is flat example, um, and I, th- I think of sort of five centuries down the line, most people accept that now. But that's one of the less controversial ones, and and people masses of people still believe in 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 the craziest of things um i won't go in, into into it too much because i don't want to offend too many people out there and um, the people do just believe that the bizarrest things I don't, I don't think everyone will will stop believing i think you can have things for which there are credible evidence to the contrary and people will still still disbelieve it i think what there may be a ray of hope for is is trying to find some kind of objective evidence what people subjectively experience and i think i think we know enough now to um, establish that that most ghost experiences seem to be subjective experiences by the person and that most subjective experiences can't be objectively measured so i think possibly that the future of that some decades down the line is to say that if science can objectively measure what someone subjectively is experiencing or seeing then that would probably be a rather large piece of the jigsaw but as steve said it, it still won't convince everybody See, I, I, that's I, why I, I mentioned that, that that i believe that the paranormal is, is supposed to be a personal experience because for instance do you believe ghosts exist if there are no people around um <laughs> um well I can't answer that question. <laughs> it's like the it's, tree, if the tree falls in the forest and there's nowhere around to hear it, oh, does it make it question? sound? It's the same no, thing. As, as, a, as a physicist, I can answer that question. It's the other question I can't answer because <laughs> there, is, there is a great deal of evidence to suggest that um, not just with ghosts, but in many um, ways we create our own reality around us. And that's, exactly. a, that's, a, that's something that physics is starting to take into consideration in some of the uh, experimentation that, that, that phys- the world is being done in the world of physics. So, you know, we are capable of, in some ways, not just interacting with our environment, but creating our environment. Um, mm. So we don't yet know whether we are creating our own ghosts. What's certainly something that, that does get um, mixed up with ghosts is survival research. Uh, or the idea that that we survive bodily death, and um, your classical ghost hunters uh, go back to the 1930s and earlier with Harry Price, for example, made made a very clear point that the existence or otherwise, or the manifestation or otherwise of ghosts, has got absolutely nothing to do with survival of death. The mm. fact that you see an apparition of a figure. Uh, a historical figure may not mean that it is a representation or um, anything other than, than just a visual representation of, of their shape 
It doesn't mean that, they're, that they have come back in any intelligent form to haunt, manifest, or communicate. Um, but nowadays, this, this idea that, that ghosts are, have become inexorably linked to survival uh, mm. has got into ghost hunting. And people, yeah. ghost, ghost investigators, spend a great deal of time communicating with spirits, with ghosts, um, mm. instead of objectively objectively. Uh, looking at the evidence for them mm, yeah I, I completely agree and i think this this kind of link between ghosts and dead people is is so strong in people's minds that it, it's so incredibly difficult um to break this idea and and i run training courses you know x number of times per year and have done for for years and years and and with each sort of cohort that comes through um I feel that I'm able to to break another kind of sacred cow of how people think, and I, I sort of see the way that that the collective mindset develops. So, X number of years ago, everyone was all about the orbs, and then as, as the the community develops generally, now now no one really believes in orbs, and a couple of years ago, it was about the EMF meters. And now no one comes on training courses thinking that the EMF meters are, are the way forward. And, and then it was turning the lights off during investigations. Everyone thought that was that was the best thing you could do. And now most people come in thinking, you know, you need to, you know, you don't need to turn the lights off to conduct a paranormal investigation. But the most stubborn one that that's been there all the time that really takes hard, hard work and communication with people to break is this this kind of total connection between ghosts and the idea of dead people and and to make the link between the two um is is the most easy leap to make and and society and culture and the media all tell us that these two things are linked and and as steve's kind of alluding to you know they're not there's no evidence that they are um and and i see absolutely no reason why that should be our starting point as paranormal investigators is this idea that ghost experiences and, and dead people are, are automatically linked and but it's so so kind of almost wired in people's minds that it's almost impossible to get that idea across to most people well there is a huge historical precedent for the fact that yeah. um you know all of the earliest ghost stories go back to the, the romans and the greeks re- were related to the ghost of a um somebody who died who'd come back was trying to come back to communicate so there is this long history but it is you know uh, there is actually nothing to suggest that apparitions that people experience um, Mm. are related to to any any link to that apparition being being uh, anything other than an image uh, or Mm. an illusion or a hallucination of it of somebody who's dead i mean there's Mm. just as many ghosts of living people Mm. Um, yeah one one thing though that i i think uh, i possibly would like to uh, push Dave a little further on, mm. is you, you, you said there that lots of people, uh, you've seen a, a, a seed change in the way people believe they, they don't believe the orb is paranormal. They don't mm-hmm. ghost hunt with the lights off. They mm. don't believe that EMF meters are ghost detectors. And mm. I would echo that because, as you know, Kieran and I also run training as well. Mm. Um, but do you also not find that, that people um, will very, very quickly resort to type. Um, the minute you... They, they come on a training course and they go, they, they're given all this information and they nod mm. uh, sagely that, oh, yeah, well, of course, we, we don't 
you know, we know that it's pointless having the lights turned off, and we know that you know orbs aren't paranormal, and we can't talk to our EMF meters. You leave them alone for five minutes in the dark, um, <laughs> and they just revert to type. They just it becomes most haunted, and it becomes mm. ghost hunters, um, yeah. and they turn the lights off, and before you know it, they're all they're all. Uh, reenacting the television shows um, yeah. and so I think deep down they, they might know that they're being ridiculous but there is this driven uh, desire to have a, a paranormal experience and mm. for the vast majority of people uh, who are out there every weekend in cemeteries mm. haunted houses castles looking for ghosts what they're really uh, looking for is their own personal encounter with the paranormal. Exactly. A, a, a I, I hate to tell you this, scare. guys, but the, uh, the doorbell rang. That means the pizza's here, and it's time to wrap it up. Cool. So, uh, final thoughts. Double pepperoni. Double pepperoni. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, final, final thoughts on that. I completely agree with Stephen. I think there's a big social kind of element there. So if someone is on a training course with a bunch of like-minded people, and they can be themselves in that way, but if they then go back to a group of people who are used to doing it a slightly different way, it's very difficult for them to, to try and convert other people, uh, if you like. And, and kind of, oftentimes it's just easier to go back to your group norm. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of this is just about social group norms. It's yeah, peer, peer pressure, but isn't that the same way when you go and you put them in your training group, you're, you're making them conform to the way you want them to think, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, to, to an extent, and, and I, I wouldn't like to present our, our training groups as a kind of a, a homogenous mass of, of kind of people and ideas. Um, and and you, don't, you get people who, who go through it and, and are very kind of vocally not of the mainstream of what that group thinks. And, and we have, you know, um, crop circle believers, people who, who have farms that crop circles appear on who, who think that they're aliens sat in the group. And then the crop circle hoaxer who's made a bunch of crop circles on the other side of the room. And, and you, have, you have quite a, a big mix of people. I, th- I, think, I think the train tends to bring out what people feel. And it's not always the same thing, has to be said. Well, you know what? Just about out of time. The tunes are on. So, Dave, uh, anything you would like to promote or uh, mention before we leave? Um, I think just, uh, yeah, going back to how to join ASAP, um, awsap.ac.uk forward slash join. Um, And it's a great organization for people in the UK and also uh, internationally to join up to. Thank you. And uh, Steve? Uh, just a reminder, I'll see you again on the 21st of February when I can't remember whether I'm co-hosting or guesting that night, to be honest. I, I don't know, I'm so confused. I'm back in a couple of weeks anyway. <laughs> All right, so it's time to wrap up. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parsons and David Wood and Ron Kowick, and we'll see you next week. Good night and God bless, everyone. From ghoulies to ghosties. Friday Night Camp Radio, 10 p.m. to midnight with Christy and Laura on Toginet.com. Broadcasting from their scrappy kitchen in Greenwich.